The motion is this house would this house would have an open door policy for refugees. <laughs> this house would have an open door policy for refugees. Um, right, okay. You get you are you going first on that end? Yeah. yeah first, second, third, fourth. Do you want to start? Yeah. Imagine being woken up to the sound of gunfire. Imagine being rounded up with your torn from your family. Imagine being forced to convert to a twisted version of Islam at gunpoint. Imagine being enslaved for the rest of your life by your cap- the hands of your captor- captors. For us in the West, this is just a storyline on a Netflix series. But the thousands of Middle Eastern women, men and young children, this is the brutal reality. This house believes that we should have an open door policy for refugees due to the immense suffering they have gone through. They have no home, so it is our moral duty to give them one. Today, according to the Dawn newspaper, there are nearly 60 million people in the world who have been displaced by war, conflict, or persecution. Around 38.2 million people among them are displaced in their own country, while 19.5 million have been taken sanctuary. A refugee is a person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution or natural disaster, not to be confused with an immigrant who has has come to live in a country permanently. One in every 122 people on the planet have been displaced from their home country. Point of information. I accept. Uh, You've defined the difference between an immigrant and a refugee. What do you think about estimations of on-the-ground groups that only one in every hundred asylum seekers is genuine coming from Syria? Well, it, there's news, you get news reports from each country on whether there's war, conflict or persecution in that country. So those those people coming to the coming from that country in conflict will get will go through, sorry, the government have procedures that they go that they go through to find out whether someone is a genuine asylum seeker. If they do not reach those standards, then they are not genuine. Um, majority of asylum the majority of asylum seekers are refugees or vice versa they I don't see a legitimate reason why they would lie about who they are so if they are coming to a country to escape conflict then they won't say that they're one thing when they're actually another point of information I decline <laughs> if we accept these if we accept these people into our country, we'll have a more diverse culture. That shows that the UK is not confined in this bubble surrounded by water. In 1933, Adolf Hitler persecuted Jews. They tried to flee the country to, to get saved from all this pain and hardship. They were forced to wear the David Star, but not as a fashion statement. They were forced to wear to identify them as different, as traitors, as, and as enemies of the state. 
They wanted to enter France, the UK, anywhere that wouldn't put them through all this pain. But they were declined. They were told they can't come in because they could be trying to hurt them, this country too. What, what happened? In, that, in Germany, three million Jews were gassed. They were put through pain and hardship. They were put in concentration camps. They were taken out of their home by decline. They were taken out of their homes just because the UK decided that they were not legit refugees. This is the death of three million girls and boys, elderly and disabled people. The UK should have an open door policy to prevent mass death do you really want to be from that country that declined Syrian and other refugees from entering? Do you want to be known as a citizen of a country that allowed young, old, decline, young, old, elderly and disabled people to enter the country? Our government should allow people to enter. Look at the lengths of some Syrians that have attempted to enter the country. There was this three-year-old boy who drowned, who was face down on a beach in Turkey. Only 27% of people at the time believed Britain should be accepting fewer or no refugees, according to the YouGov survey. These people risked their lives at sea daily. To quote war, sure, no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. That was very good, thank you very much. Can I just clarify that if you're making point of information from the table, can you stand up? Um, also, like, you can't keep doing it because that's barracking. Like, if it's the same person making the same, like, constantly doing it, this, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, right, next up. Ladies and gentlemen, adjudicators, chairperson, and members of the opposition, I'm sure the proposition are going to try the typical pulling on the heartstrings to get this point across. But please, look past this. This is not a moral debate. With the situation that will be created by helping these refugees, it would be like overcrowding a lifeboat to escape from a sinking ship. All we would be able to do is watch it sink and no one survive. Personally, I will go into the economics of this situation, of how the strain of the refugees would be too great for any country to handle. On the other hand, my teammate, Miss Kelly, will go into both the political and social aspects. This political instability will also feed into, back into the economics of the situation. But first, I'd like to define the parameters of this debate. An open-door policy means to allow the unrestricted access of refugees into a country. That means you can't go on and take off who's going into which box. Meanwhile, a refugee is one who fled their country due to famine, war or unjust political treatment. This isn't just Syrians. This can be from any country. Now, this unrestricted access may seem fair, but I encourage you to think deeply about this. Look at our already delicate systems. Imagine the pressure on welfare, housing, education, and the health service. They're, these are things that people already survive on and depend on. Imagine the utter anarchy if these crumbled. 
The words fine. Go on. You mentioned housing, but there are 630,000 empty homes across Britain. And yet there are still people who aren't living in them. We have to get those filled before we take in more people. There are still a lot of people without housing. The words frying pan and fire come into my mind. I hope you don't picture me as a racist. Point of information. Go on. A study showed that allowing um, 320,000 refugees into the country as a small baseline figure, which they should take, hospital waiting lists would not be affected at all. The NHS wouldn't be affected waiting list-wise. How does that? How does that look like? Does that look like something is crumbling to you? Or you can look at the actual debate where it says an open door policy, the unrestricted access, not a certain amount. Now, I don't you hope picture me as a racist like a Donald Trump figure, but I'm thinking practically. Our society would literally crumble apart. We don't believe this will leave, leave bringing in these refugees will leave a utopian society, nor keeping them out will leave one in any other country. But let's leave Northern Ireland for a second. Can you honestly say? That Germany, with its GDP of $3,535 billion, has the same ability to take in refugees as San Marino, with $1.8 billion? No, of course not. Even Germany's government said that they would take in refugees, but later said they couldn't. If Germany, with the highest GDP in the EU, uh, couldn't take in refugees, how can anyone else? I decline. Uh, Imagine it as a burning building. Would you put out this fire and keep the people in it, only to stop the fire were in its tracks? Or would you take the people out and let the fire spread among other buildings, slowly killing more and more people? An infern a raging inferno. So to summarize, if we, let, if we allow unrestricted access into countries, we leave them no hope. We can only hope, that, we can only hope to help them from here helping them repair their own country instead of taking them into ours. On that point, sir. I decline. Uh, make life better instead of overpacking that fragile li lifeboat that's slowly sinking and letting us all crumble. Right, let's stop. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, fellow speakers, ladies and gentlemen. I will be continuing to defend the proposition that this House would have an open-door policy for refugees. Maida has already spoken of the humanitarian concerns surrounding refugees, and I wish to add to this by considering possible economic and security benefits. But before I come to that, I wish to refute some of the opposition's points. The opposition argued that we need more screening, more border control, more regulation. However, we simply do not have the time for this. There are thousands upon thousands of people waiting to be processed in camps that are simply not fit for human habitation. Never once in my speech did I say we need more screening or more border, border patrols. But you were speaking against open doors, which you were suggesting that we need to somehow screen them. But the whole, the essence of open doors is that anybody can come in. At one refugee camp, the Daily Mail reported that rape and abuse were rife, and even forced prostitution. We cannot leave these people to fester in these camps. We need to... At that point? Yes. Is the Daily Mail a credible source? Well, the Daily Mail was merely quoting another source, which was a German politician. So as, although I don't think the Daily Mail is the greatest, I would trust this particular politician they were quoting. 
course, our long-term goal is that the Syrians will one day be able to return to their home countries. But until that happens, we need to take them in. Point of information? Yes. What about the many refugees coming here, taking advantage of our benefit system and sending money back to their own families back in Europe? Is this not just merely taking advantage of the UK with no intention of returning? I think this might be where the confusion comes in between refugees and economic migrants. But I think that if refugees are willing to come here and their families at home are genuinely suffering, then maybe it's no bad thing that their families are getting some money. But contrary to popular belief, refugees can benefit Europe economically. And of course, we're not just talking about Syrians. There are refugees from all corners of the world trying to come to Europe. The EU estimated that we need 50 million more able workers by the year 2060 because we are facing a demographic time bomb, I decline. We are facing an aging population and what we need right now is an influx of workers. And this is what is being provided for us, even though it is through unfortunate circumstances I decline. We can look at Germany as an example. The opposition mentioned that Germany was not able to accept refugees. However, the refugees have been having a positive economic effect on the country. Angela Merkel announced last September that she would be accepting 80,000 refugees. It has been estimated that Germany will need two able workers per old person in order to pay their pension. And Britain's situation is not far off this. On that like, point, Madam Chairman. That's it. Uh, Angela Merkel yesterday quotes that Germany will accept 80,000 refugees, and since she's quoted that, it's accepted 315,000 refugees, and on manageable mountains, putting a strain on resources in Germany. Well, as I'm detailing, the, the refugees have actually had a positive effect in Germany. Of course, it's not all positive. We can't over-glamorise things, but there is some benefit to it. Because Britain, just like Germany, is suffering from a plummeting birth rate. And having an open-door policy could be what we need in order to solve this. Point of information. I decline. Of course, opening borders is not enough to assimilate people into our society. We need organisations such as Refugee Action Northern Ireland that will take people, teach them, integrate them so they can contribute to our society legally and effectively. I decline. Moving on, refugees may be good for our national security. If we don't want people to be radicalised and we don't want events like Paris to happen again, then we must remove these people from hotbeds of terrorism, which the Middle East has become, I decline. If people come to the UK instead of choosing a path of violence, they set an example for the rest of their family and then they will have the skills and background that can be utilised in solving the Middle East problems, I decline. Syrians that are taken out of harm's way are unlikely to be future contributors of violence. The logic is clear. Point of information? Accept. Uh, Melissa Fleming, who travelled recently to the countries within the counties within Syria, said that she was told by the refugees that they felt little hope of ever returning home or having a well-established life in exile. So if they want to return home, how are you offering them any kind of solution? What? We need to stabilise the Middle East first. We can't send people home while it's still so unstable. So we need to take people here as a temporary measure while whatever military and diplomatic intervention happens. And then, once it is solved, we should be able to send them home. To conclude, 
Having an open door policy is the most humanitarian result. Take a minute to put yourselves in the shoes of a refugee, losing everything. Or if that was your family, your friends, or even yourself. What sort of society are we if we do not rise up to help our suffering neighbours? This debate is not about figures or statistics. It is about real, suffering human beings. I finished with a quote from Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary for Refugees. Syria has become the greatest tragedy of our century. Thank you. Chairperson, members of the proposition, fellow members of the opposition, esteemed guests and judges, I am here with my colleagues tonight to disprove, to refute the motion this House would have an open door policy to refugees. First and foremost, I want to say that I feel this would only grossly mishandle the situation at hand. We have to understand the severity of the crisis at our shores. This isn't just a refugee crisis, rather a mass exodus of people of biblical proportions. To offer passage through Europe to these refugees is a disorganised response, masquerading as a solution, that offers too little too late for the EU. The member of the proposition could not tell me how her proposed solution would ever guarantee that these people could return back home. By simply culturally displacing them, we're not offering them any real hope for the future. And in a time of extreme humanitarian crisis, where they are being offered no guarantees about where they will be welcome, On about where they can stay, uh, I accept. You say we, they have no hope of ever returning home, but is our solution therefore to leave them to fester and to die in Syria? We have to give them a home, Madam Chairman, until the conflict in the Middle East is resolved. I agree that our solution needs to be focused on a political solution. To me, this is the only real, feasible solution to the Syrian crisis. When you consider that the EU is being bombarded with wave upon wave of refugees, with only, I accept. Uh, to put a figure to this wave upon wave of massive amounts of refugees by the end of 2014, only 0.24% of the UK's population is Yes, but if you look at the figures in general, we're looking at about 4 million people with, I think I read just now, 3.8 million in The Guardian still looking for somewhere to actually live. So if you take the UK out of the balance and consider the EU with, as a whole, which we can within the motion, we still have to consider where are these people going to live? Let me address the situation in the neighbouring camps besides Syria. Large refugee camps have been set up in Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq. Families who have escaped the horrors here will endure no heating, no running water, finding shelter in derelict buildings, living on one-tenth of the average daily consumption of water. How are we helping them to get home? By leaving them in camps. Camps which are much closer to their home than the shores of the UK. Rather, should we not be funding these camps to make them viable living places for the refugees so that when the time comes that we can bring them back home again, they are much closer to home than they ever would be with us. And that's what I want to focus on because it's the core of my, not right now, uh, because it's the core of my argument, the need for a political solution. The EU is visibly disintegrating in a bid to reach consensus on this issue. And when the powers that be wrangle about whether it is right or wrong to open the doors, they stand back and continue to ignore the issues going on in these lands. 
Russia has now allied with Syria, providing funding for the Assad regime. Russia's air campaign has further increased the death toll, and still we do nothing. We are not taking a global, unified political response, and this is what it's going to take to find a real solution, people. Uh, I accept. If we can't discover a world collaborative response, let's have a national response by opening our borders. There's clearly a problem within Syria and other neighboring countries, and the one thing we can offer them, which they're not able to find in these countries, is security. The proposition, you know, the opposition are solely focusing on what refugees can offer us. Let's think about what we can offer them. I understand what you're saying, but you even look at the EU proposed figures for UK intake was about 160,000, if I'm correct. That's not going to solve the crisis. What I'm saying is this is not a solution by any means. Having an open door policy will only incubate this political crisis and make it worse. Do we have the infrastructure to deal with this mass influx of refugees? Do you suppose that the little islands that make up the UK are going to find room for 3.8 million people? I think not. On that point, Madam Chairman. I decline. And then if we look at the death toll of Russia's air campaigns, and when you think about the recent talks in Moscow and the attempt to create a ceasefire and Aleppo, and still they failed because the countries surrounding Syria are still divided in their opinions, never mind the actual government parties within Syria. Unless we can agree to your response, how are we ever going to find one? Instead of focusing on finding a coordinated global response, if we just opened the doors, we wouldn't find any real solution because we cannot ignore the suffering we've witnessed. Whilst it is important to address the humanitarian needs of those caught up in this hellish situation, we cannot allow emotion to cloud our judgment. The member of the proposition will not recognise the fact that it's estimated that only one in every hundred is a genuine asylum seeker. It seems to me that we are falling into a whirlpool of confusion surrounding this issue. There's no clear facts, there's no clear figures. If you even listen today, we've had different figures from over here for how many refugees need to be housed, from this young gentleman in the audience about how many people need to be housed. It's clear that we don't have a clear grasp on the situation. What we need to do is focus. We need to put aside political bias and find a clear solution to this crisis because opening the doors is going to do nothing without a long-term plan rather than this temporary band-aid. There will be rough seas ahead, indeed. Rather than sealing blindly, the EU must raise its seals and steer its ship clear into the heart of the problem, or we're facing a shipwreck with unforetold consequences. Who will find them jobs? Who will find them skill places? Who will find them hospital beds? If you look at the 2015 election, we're struggling to find those things for ourselves. I ask you to join me in urging the political government surrounding Syria to find a unified response that could actually work in solving the crisis. Thank you. Good afternoon, Madam Chairman, members of the House and members of the Opposition. We, the Proposition, believe there should be an open-door policy towards refugees. Our current response has been too low, too slow and too narrow. Thousands are dying every day and that will continue to happen if something isn't done. We wish to be the buoyancy aid to save these refugees. We wish to become a saviour 
for dying refugees. A refuge, Jesus, if you will. <laughs> I will address how these refugees from around the globe provide our country with skilled workers. How it is our moral obligation to help these people. Moral and ethics, something we know all too well in here. How these refugees will give us cultural diversity that we need and that discrimination is holding them back. And finally, their economic impact. My colleague, Mr. Foster, will discuss how we can rethink our aid strategy about refugees and our coexistence of means and how we are not alone in this situation. First, I would like to draw upon some arguments of the opposition. The first speaker of the opposition claimed helping refugees is like a sinking ship. That's not true in the slightest. Refugees pose promising economic growth. According to EU economists, re uh, helping refugees and, take, and allowing them to stay in the country Point will increase GDP. I will accept. Uh, since the Italian intervention in the Mediterranean Sea, the number of people trying to cross has trebled, but so has the number of those drowned. Is this intervention really helping refugees or leading them to their deaths? That is a major issue which Mr Foster will cover, where we can rethink our aid strategy. Because right now, what we have is not sustainable. To get these people to safety, to our open borders, to our safe haven that we have here for them, the current situation is not good enough, and we will need to make this safer. I will declare. I will mention this later in the debate. Um, a point of information by the opposition claimed that refugees abuse benefits in our country. Not true at all. A large majority of refugees come to work. They contribute a lot more to our economy per person than the natives themselves. Refugees are less likely to go on social benefits than the natives. I'll accept. Uh, Could you repeat that last bit, please? <laughs> well, that is an issue with the country itself. They tried their open door policy, but there needs to be a consensus with people. If the UK had this open door policy, we could take in as many refugees. Well, not the four million figure, as many are still in Lebanon, but we could take in more refugees. Point of information. I'm right there. These refugees provide us with many skilled and unskilled workers for our country. This supports our ageing population as our workforce shrinks. These people will help fill the labour market. I will accept. You speak about how these refugees are going to help our ageing population, but you've also spoken about how we will allow them to go home afterwards. What will the UK itself do once the refugees go home, given that it's supported our economic crisis? I personally have not discussed refugees going home, given our economic crisis. Um, the idea of going home comes back whenever Syria and the surrounding areas are more stable and a secure environment for them, their own little sanctuary. But as of right now, the, here is probably the best place for them. Um, in September 2015, Germany said it can take 800,000 asylum seekers. They did go back on this figure. It counts on immigration to replenish its ageing workforce, a model the UK should follow. Germany had over 200,000 more deaths than births in 2012. Furthermore, I apologise for butchering the pronunciation, Carlos Vargas Silva, 
of the Migration Observatory at Oxford University reported that letting in 260,000 refugees a year could have the UK's public debt 50 years from now. On information? I'm not accepting. Secondly, it is our moral obligation to help these people. A 2001 directive empowers the EU to bypass the system of refugees only being granted asylum in the first country they land in in cases of mass influx such as this. Thus, there are no legislative authorities holding us back. Point of information. I will not accept. The UK refuses refugees who have already entered Europe, fearing it will attract more. However, no existing sound research substantiates the political claim that giving people asylum in Europe stimulates the flow. This comes from Alexander Betts, Head of Refugee Studies at the University of Oxford. In conclusion, Madam Chairman, Mr Foster and I would have an open-door policy for refugees for the economic, social and moral issues outlined. The reality is that refugees carry a heap of benefits for our society and no I am not talking about social welfare allowances. It is our responsibility, Madam Chairman, to save those people in Syria. My Syria, Myanmar, Lebanon, Iraq, Turkey, Greece, Jordan, Eritrea, South Sudan, Libya, Ukraine, Ethiopia, Pakistan, and the list goes on. To quote Angela Merkel, I apologise for butchering the pronunciation once again. Wir schaffen es. We can do it. We can do it. And we will. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, adjudicators, members of the proposition, Madam Chair. My name is Laura Kelly and just to, first of all, provide some counter-argument to the ideas of the proposition. A study uh, conducted in the Refugees Studies Centre in the University of Oxford by Professor Alex Betts shows that refugees want to go home. Surely now that we must provide a solution to the problems at the source of why they are refugees. The political instability in their countries, the social instability in their countries, and the... the of their political systems. Surely then would it not be a better use of our resources to attack these problems at the source? And just to go along the lines of the proposition, a good, ref a good source or a good resource in this argument is the refugees themselves. The proposition has tried to take advantage of these refugees, saying that they will be there will be a great advantage to our economic and political stability. But as uh, as members of the, pro uh, the opposition, yes, I accept. You say we need to attack the root of the problem, but the Syrian crisis isn't going to end overnight. Where can these refugees, refugees live safely until this conflict is resolved? By opening our borders, we give them a home. If you would, I, will, I will address this later in my speech when I, when I talk about safe zones within the countries, within the source countries for the refugees. If we, if we use refugees as a resource in this argument, in this fight, the refugees' problem can be, can be solved even quicker. These people, these refugees, are skilled workers. They are doctors, they are teachers, they are people with good educations. 
So why not use these people in the fight against their own government? If these people suddenly flee their countries and come to us with an open door policy, how will, how will the problem ever be solved? Surely we should be encouraging the refugees and their, their source countries to be independent from outside aid and solve their own problems. Yes, we can help them. We can encourage them along the way. We can provide as much support as possible. But surely... Yes? But surely in the journey in coming to this country that there is an increased risk of human trafficking, of, of the dangers of the perilous journey they come across when there's over 470 people who have been killed on the journey to um, to, to EU countries over the past two months and surely then in keeping them in these countries at that point we will negate that risk as well if we can provide safe zones for these people then there will they'll be a reduced risk of them being killed by these fascist regimes Thank you Angela Merkel was quoted in the past months to have been pledging to set no upper limit to the number of refugees that she would accept and going along the lines of this open door policy. However, Germany is still the only country in the EU pledging to remain with this open door policy and even it cannot sustain this open door policy. There, there's been unrest in the German coalition which shows how these altruistic gestures can cause problems within a society and its own population be ignored. I, I decline. According to the Financial Times, the German system is, is becoming unstable under the refugee influx. An incident in Kassel in West Germany between different ethnics, uh, ethnic and religious groups left 14 injured after a brawl in, involving 370 people. I, I, it baffles me as to how the proposition can stand today and say they're going to take people from one form of a conflict and put them right into another one. Surely we should be helping these people in their source countries. Not only will this benefit our political stability and social stability, but it will eventually move them along towards their own political stability. Last night, point, I accept. You imply that this would be a militaristic response, that to attack the problem at its source would require our mil militaristic intervention, as well as resolving the country's uh, problems at the source. The last time we did this, 10 years of war ensued. And as far as I'm concerned, and the most of this country, the best way to stop a Middle Eastern problem is not by throwing depleted uranium and lead at it. I never actually mentioned a militaristic source. That may be what I implied, but I never mentioned a militaristic source. Personally, I would actually emphasize a democratic solution to the problem rather than a militaristic solution. Yes, militaristic solutions may have to come into play, but at the end of the day, words should be, should be sufficient in this. Yes, maybe they, they'll end up not being sufficient, but we are debating today to try and solve the solution, not pointing a gun at these, pointing a gun at these governments. Now, ITV News reported last night that Greece and Italy are under serious pressure due to the influx of refugees in their countries. Over the last two months, there have been over 100,000 refugees entered Greece and Italy alone, and there have been 97,000 people smuggled in by boats. Surely we're increasing the risk of human trafficking and, and God forbid, sexual exploitation in these refugees by moving them from their, from their source countries into other EU countries. Surely it would be a better use of our resources to help the source of the problem. It would be better for our political stability, for our economic stability, as Mr. Carr has mentioned, and for our social stability. If we can barely keep the peace amongst ourselves without, in without including all our refugees, 
how are we ever going to keep the pace with a more culturally culturally diverse society? Personally, I would love to see a more culturally diverse society, but we can barely keep the peace amongst ourselves. You're, incre you're increasing the psychological damage that's done to those refugees throughout their, this horrible time for them. Thank you. <laughs> Um, okay. Next up. Madam Chairman, it seems we have a conflict of statistics. In fact, the opposition themselves said there are no clear statistics for how many migrants we will see. Well, that's completely untrue. If we work on what the estimates were for Germany, the absolute worst case scenario for open borders in Germany was 1.5 million. Now this this figure itself is less than the UNHCR recommendation for a number of refugees which would greatly disrupt um, trade, which greatly disrupt trade society and the economy. Madam Chairman, we can have this number. With, uh, we can welcome a huge number of refugees with money and resources we already have. Because winter is coming, Madam Chairman. We must prepare ourselves to welcome some of the most vulnerable people in the world to a better and brighter future here. Now, I'd like to respond to some of the proposition's argument at the start of my speech. Now, the proposition have acknowledged that there are many skilled workers in the Middle East. Uh, many skilled workers, I would like to add, who could contribute to our economy. Uh, why not take no, thank you. Why not take advantage of this skill labor? Because what use is an accountant? What use is a lawyer in the struggle against fascist regimes in the Middle East? Point, to, point of information. Uh, these people are refugees. They are here during a crisis until it is over. They're not coming here to set up a new life. They want to go home, which is natural. It's what you or I would want to do. They're not looking for you to treat them like an employment agency. Madam Chairman, we've just heard several times throughout this debate that the migrants want to go home. They want to stay in these repressed areas. They want to be ruled by fascist regimes. I don't understand this rhetoric. They want a safe home which we can provide them Point with. Point of information. No, thank you. Now, the proposition of said, or the opposition of said throughout this debate about unrestricted access of biblical proportions of refugees arriving. But I would be interested to hear the statistics they propose, and we've heard 3 million and 4 million completely erroneous statistics. As I said before, we can accept this number of statistics without disrupting our society. This is an open door, Madam Chairman, not an open drain. Point of information. No, thank you. Now, what Mr. Lawrence said I'd outline how we can afford this, because we can't afford this, Madam Chairman. No, thank you. Um, we have a £12 billion international aid and development budget. We've already given £1 billion to Syria to fund the camps that the, the opposition said we are not funding. We can afford this by rethinking our aid strategy. Uh, George Osborne has already proposed such a rethink uh, in a way which would uh, direct funds towards the crisis in the Mediterranean and towards Syria. With this money, we can accelerate our plans to build 300,000 social houses by the end of 2020. We have enough, we have enough housing to, to cover these refugees and to cover ourselves. We are not under any pressure that the opposition seem to indicate. No, thank you. 
Another thing which the, the opposition have stumbled on is the fact that our open door policy is not our only is not our only response to this crisis. Our response does not end at our doorstep. We will we are going to our plan includes encouraging uh, the coordination of a response to um, to deal with the crisis in Syria in the Middle East as well as opening our borders. This is not our only means of solution, Madam Chairman. Point of information. No, thank you. It is also only temporary. As the proposition mentioned, as, as soon as the crisis is resolved, they would return home. Not, of course, while the co conflict is still raging as they seem to propose. Point of Accept. Well, in UK law, refugees are permitted to stay if they do contribute to our economy and if they do want to stay. Returning home to Syria would not be uh, a post-apocalyptic, uh, a post-apocalyptic wasteland. We're looking at post-war Syria, not pre-war Syria. Another important point which needs to be raised is that we are not alone. We are not little Britain helping uh, helping these refugees by ourselves. We have the might of the EU, the UNHCR, UNICEF, the UNRWA organizations which contribute billions to relief of this disaster. Furthermore, we can inspire the help of our uh, colleagues and our other nations, such as the United States and other Western Europe's, European states. We are not alone, Madam Chairman. We have the might of the world behind us and the eyes of the world upon us. Madam Chairman, we are in a unique position to help these poor people, and we have to do something. With a can-do attitude, with a compassionate heart and £40 billion, we can be Mr. Lawrence's refugees. We can be the history makers. We can be the ones who gave these dying souls the better and brighter future they deserve. Thank you. Thanks very much. And Now, I would like to begin by pointing out something the proposition said in one of their earlier speeches, that they did not want to glamorise things. I personally agree with this, but I find it somewhat then of a cruel irony that all four of the ladies and gentlemen right in front of me have done so throughout their entire arguments, what they have based it upon in fact. However, I will not do the same. I would like to begin with a disheartening and yet poignant tweet about the current state of things in Syria. Now, say I were to give any one of you 10,000 M&Ms. I tell you then that 10 of these M&Ms are toxic. They will kill you if you eat them. Now, I want to ask you then, would any one of you sitting here right now even try to take a handful? In 2013, the Pew Research Center produced a survey of nine Middle Eastern territories, including Palestine. It found that only 27% of the population weren't interested in Islamic extremism. Clearly, our open doors are going to be a little less safe. On that point, sir. 
accepted. <laughs> Up to six of eight Paris attackers fought in Syria. Again, I apologize for the butchering of pronunciation. Abaoud had boasted to an ISIL magazine of how police failed to catch him. The Belgium government had failed to recognize him as a threat. This demonstrates that open-door policy does not impact the threat of terrorism. France had never, um, never adopted this. If we promote an open-door policy, sir, then there will only be more, more men like him coming through, more dangers. As it said, the Paris attacks, which shook the democratic world to its very core, was carried out by only eight attackers. Say we took in 10,000 refugees, and only 0.1% of them were radicalized. Within that number, there is statistically a likelihood of there being about 10 <coughs> extremists included in it. On that point. Accepted. Um, given that all the first attackers were actually French and Belgian citizens, how would taking in um, refugees from Syria who actually are refugees? We were able to see that many radicalised extremists within France and within Belgium. Democratic countries fairly free of Islamic influence in Syria, in the Middle East, in the centre of terrorism in the modern world. How many do you think we're going to be finding there? How many are we going to be letting in if we leave our doors open completely? On that point, sir. No. Emer, my colleague, earlier mentioned an issue of displacement. And to reference a member of the proposition's metaphors about dreaming and waking up one day, imagine you woke up one day. You were displaced from the country that you grew up in, that you believe in, that you love. Instead, you're in a new land. Everyone wears strange clothes. There is a new currency. So you don't understand. Accepted. Uh, you said waking up in a different country from the one you love. I think if they loved Syria, they wouldn't be willing to travel 2,000 miles across the continent of Europe to get out of that country. Willing to travel, indeed. Willing to travel because their lives are threatened. Do you think they wish to be smuggled across miles upon miles of ocean by disreputable traffickers to drown on Italian shores? I don't think that's any one wish. <clears throat> no, as other members no of, the, of the proposition mentioned, if we were to take a humanitarian rather than a solely pragmatic approach, an open door policy is still not the solution. For example, take countries which are nearly directly bordering Syria within the Middle East, the likes of Iraq or Saudi Arabia are contributing nothing to the refugee crisis, despite their proximity. Accepted. Why do you, if you think that there are so many terrorists coming out of Syria, why do you feel that Iraq and the surrounding countries should be going with terrorists? Because it, was, it comes back to the issue of displacement, that we are sending refugees so far from their homeland, whereas if we can negotiate, if we can get to countries closer to Syria that are on their borders, then it's going to be much more easy to repatriate them to their own countries, rather than having them miles away in Europe from their homelands. No, democracy and decency are what the proposition crave, then let us negotiate. The proposition said we need to stabilize the Middle East. On that point, sir. Denied. How is that going to be achieved if we take them all completely out of their environments? We cannot stabilize the Middle East by vacating it. Accepted. Um, given that Saudi Arabia is doing very little to stop its own citizens funding ISIS and indeed its own ideology will 
Al-Hazim is the ideology of ISIS. White refugees fleeing ISIS travel to Saudi Arabia to seek sanctuary. Otherwise, sanctuary needs to be better renegotiated within these nations. The point is that the issue is not to send them to Germany, to the UK, so far away where their homeland becomes completely useless, run rampant with terrorists and extremists. <clears throat> now, this gives rise once again to the issue of human trafficking, which will only be exacerbated by an open-door policy. For example, of 150,000 on Italian shores last year, over 60,000 were not registered citizens on Eurocad. Open-door policies perpetuate this. We will continue to allow smugglers tonight, smugglers and blackguards to continue to, to take refugees across dangerous waters. Indeed, there are slivers of deceit underneath the open and welcoming arms of the refugees that the propositions say we promote. <clears throat> now, hundreds of millions... Sorry. Yes. I would like to close my argument <laughs> by quoting Radio DJ Buckethead. <laughs> it is time to close the front door. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the judges are going to go deliberate, um, and now we're going to take some questions from the audience. So first up, I'd like to take questions from the pro for the proposition. So has anyone got any? Can we push? Huh? Can we push? <laughs> no. Um, so, can anyone got any questions for the proposition? Yeah, afterwards. Yeah, we'll, we'll get responses. One. Do you want to stand up? Speak as loud as you can as well. Would you like to respond? One person from... Our open borders are open borders for refugees. They're not open borders for gang leaders <laughs> and uh, drug pushers. Um, now, we saw in, our, in the opposition speech a masterclass in refugee scare tactics with this vague, undefined possibility of a threat, whereas terrorists and people that you mentioned can easily legally enter our country. And using the asylum process, the open door process we propose is a more painful alternative. Can I respond can to that? Can we respond to what the They can respond. You can respond. Yes. They can respond. You can't respond, sorry. Sorry? They can ask for clarification. Do you guys want to respond? You're saying you have an open door... You're saying you have an open door... You say you have an open door policy, but you've just said that you're going to cap the numbers and you say there will be an utopian society afterwards. An open door policy means that's unrestricted access. Uh, can I make a little response as well? Sorry. It's one for me, sorry. Have you got a question for the proposition? Question for the proposition. 
Okay. Is there anyone any more questions for the proposition? Yes. Okay. Yeah. statement made by Daesh some months ago, they would be sending in fighters from their organization within refugee waves. If you want to respond. There will be substantial and efficient plans, like questioning and procedures that will find out whether they are a part of any gangs, of any extremist groups that will restrict them from entering the country. If you open the doors, it's unrestricted. I find it laughable that the proposition's talking about, we're not opening the doors to gangs, gang members and face You're opening the doors, period. You don't get a choice. That's it. You have opened the door. And you're making a good point. And if we look at the actions of Daesh or ISIS or whatever you want to call it, they have made good on their words so far and the results have been horrific so Hugh might have the response might have been a little bit incredulous to Hugh's argument but when you look at it from another perspective if there was a terrorist attack tomorrow I wonder if the response would be something a little bit different ISIS so far on their threats have made good on them and it is a terrifying prospect but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't help people temporarily when they need crisis I think our central point was that that isn't a long-term crisis. That's not a uh, long-term solution to any crisis. demographics show that people coming from the Middle East tend to have more children than we would in Britain so therefore it's continued on so even if they do become old there'll still be plenty of young workers to provide for them. Surely then if that is the culture in their own country when they come to a new country and hopefully maybe adopt some of our customs they'll have smaller families. Also if I was going to a new country trying to escape poverty and persecution I wouldn't be setting up shop having a huge family there because I would want to return to my home country with hopefully with a smaller family to make it easier yes obviously I would want to have a family but a significantly smaller family to make that journey back easier because I knew how perilous the journey here was. Thank you very much. Sorry it's very hard for me to withhold my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay we'll go for a question over there. Yeah. Um, my question is um, my question is that if Surely them will have a vastly different skill set to the UK. Um, the UK. There are industries over in Syria that won't be here in the UK. There are industries in the UK that won't be um, with the Syrian refugees. Um, won't have skills for. So um, my question is that um, why should we let them in if they're not beneficial working for the country? Because they will have to work in order to feed these uh, massive families. Number one, skilled and unskilled workers, workers ready to be trained. Let's look at the skilled workers, lawyers, doctors, accountants, the same the world over. They come over here, the skills are still applicable, especially in the medicine department. Unskilled workers can be trained in the industries that don't exist in Syria. And those that do exist in Syria that aren't over here could be set up as their own business. You know, 
it's increasing our GDP, it's increasing our economy, the spending we have. I just make a practical point in this. Um, if you're trained in Syrian law, I don't think you can just come over, come off a boat and then walk into an office and you're qualified to practice over here. I don't know where we're getting this illusion that we have an influx of PR. Do you not have to take the bar and... <laughs> I didn't know what you said until you were like, no. You have to take the bar in every country to practice in it. It's just delusional. Also, you can't take someone from their traumatic experience off a ship, maybe they lost a child, plenty of people have had, and say, you're going to be a doctor for us now, please help all of these people, you're, we're trying to help them, you, I'm very confused about your big moral response to this issue. Okay, Gemma? I think you guys have missed the point of the humanitarian crisis. Not everybody in a humanitarian crisis has a skill set, is a lawyer, is a doctor, is an accountant, you know. There are people that are unskilled manual workers. What do we do for them, you know? Oh, sorry, you can't come in, you're not skilled enough. <laughs> you're talking about this in economic terms. Should we not be having this discussion in a moral and ethical and humanitarian terms? Um, can I respond to that question? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go on, guys. I mentioned in my debate skilled and unskilled workers. I did take them into account. I'm not a blatant racist. <laughs> we no, that's not racism. That's not racism at all. It's classism or skillsism. Skillsism, yeah. It's a live one. You just wait and see. Anyway, these people can be trained. They can do this work. They are mold. They can be molded to do certain jobs in this country. Yes. What do you need clarified? No, it's what you uh, clarified. Oh. What? I want to clarify. All right, go for it. Is that up? Uh, uh, no, we did not. Carry on. Go on. Um, so I'm trying to get you into the habit of doing it properly. Um, <laughs> would you like to respond? Um, if you want to go on, I already want to. I, do you? I don't mind. I've responded a lot. Yeah, I feel like you wanted it the most. Yeah. <laughs> I'm chopping at the bit for it. Um, that's one of the reasons that we oppose this motion, this open door policy, is the fact that we want both unskilled and unskilled workers not to be discriminated against either way. That's why we're not, we're not bringing over here to uh, put them through that discrimination. We want them to remain in their own countries, in these safe zones, where they can rebuild their own lives without our discrimination or without our... Um, Social separation. I think that's probably the best term for it. This is social separation of skilled or unskilled or qualified or unqualified. They want them to remain in their own country where they can rebuild as a nation, as a community. Um, has anyone got any burning, really, really important questions? Because otherwise, I want to move on. Okay, I'll go for this young lady. Um, you talked about having the UK having support from the EU. I listed a couple of other organisations outside of the EU. If you look at the UNHCR with a budget of $5 billion, if you look at UNICEF with a budget of $5.2 billion, if you look at the UNRWA with a budget of $1.2 billion, we have more support than just the EU. We're not alone outside the EU just as much as we're not alone inside the EU. I think that the proposition are offering up access to a house and they haven't asked the current occupiers if they're happy with it or not. In a recent survey by a national newspaper, 94% of Czechs said that they thought refugees should go back to where they came from. And Hungary's foreign minister said that... I found that national newspaper that was. 
Pardon? Can you clarify what national newspaper that was? Absolutely not, because I got it off an article in that 20 minute space. And, but the Foreign Minister of Hungary did say that this influx of refugees was the establishment of a new world order. I don't think everyone's as sympathetic as you're portraying them to be. And what you are doing is exactly what you weren't doing, which is glamorising the situation. We can do it. We can do it. What if everybody doesn't want to do it? What if there's a lot of cultural hostility? Very true. It was always proposed that we proportional to wealth. Oh, sorry, I thought it was opposition. If we're talking about a global open door policy on the figures of four million still stand, will I continue? Yeah, keep going. On the figures of four million still stand, we're looking at a tiny amount of refugees in every single country. And if I may just add, the Hungarian government, which aren't satisfied with these refugees, is the same Hungarian government who will only accept Christian refugees. Um, may I yeah. yep. um, as I stated in my, in my speech, the ITV News reported yesterday there's over 100,000 refugees in Italy and Greece alone. You're saying there'd be a tiny amount of refugees per country. If I was a refugee travelling from Syria or from um, Eritrea, I would only want to have to travel to the closest country. I wouldn't want to have to get to the closest country and then to the next one, and to the next one, to the next one, until eventually you reach the UK or Ireland or if we're venturing outside the EU, Canada or the United States. If you're going to if you're going to displace these refugees even further to um, spread out the number of refugees amongst the countries so that their budgets and all will allow for it, you're going to be putting the refugees even under even more strain than they've already been under. Thank you very much. We're now going to move on to questions for the opposition. Um, you want to go? Yeah. 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 By opposing open borders does not mean you have to propose closed borders. Surely the best option for everyone involved is to have controlled borders. Controlled borders are borders that allow movement of people between different jurisdictions, but places restrictions and sometimes significant restrictions on this movement. Surely this gives all the benefits of refugees in our country without closing the doors. Would you like to respond? Hello, yes, I agree, but it's not that we didn't mention that. That was, in fact, in my own speech when I went on about Germany and San Maria. Uh, so, yes, although it is an alternative, we are merely providing more and more alternatives because you can fix a problem with three or four solutions instead of just one. Would someone from the proposition like to respond? You don't have to respond, I'm just putting that out there. If you want to, feel free. No? Okay, another question for the opposition? You're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll leave you to later. Um, the other young lady at the back?
something about safe houses and locking them in their own country was a no human rights. Um, would you like to respond? Oh yeah, I respond. Um, we're not suggesting that we're going to lock people in these safe houses or safe zones. We're saying that this is a more appealing solution than um, making them either come to or providing these safe zones because it would be a more appealing solution than the perilous journey they would have to face coming uh, uh, coming to the UK or to other EU countries as refugees. And we're saying that it will be more beneficial to the country in the long term, to their economic, uh, social and political stability. But, we're not, but yes, people can come to any country at any time, but we're not saying that's an open door policy. There has to be restrictions there and there has to be um, monitoring and control there as regards to um, the level of access that people are allowed. Yes, they can come into the country, but there has to be certain protocols there. The proposition with their open door policy are suggesting that there are no protocols, that they're just allowed in. Would you like to respond? I would say that the very idea of safe zones within a war zone is just not possible because we have UN hospitals, UN schools. These were supposedly safe, yet these have been decimated in airstrikes and hundreds of innocent people have been killed. So it's not possible to have a safe zone. Okay. Um, would you like to make a point on? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I, I don't think you're all racist, but. The <laughs> bat. <laughs> there are almost no recorded instances of terrorist attacks occurring by somebody who has entered a nation, our nation, through an asylum process. It open door or closed door. They nearly always occur by foreign governments or by covert infiltration, which covert infiltration is not so many telegraph, doesn't matter how closed your borders are, it's gonna happen anyway. You are much, much more likely to be killed by someone who you know in a violent death than somebody from across the world. Why is it that you seem to have this belief that a considerable number of terrorists will leave the terrorist safe haven of the world surpass any and all security measures we put in their way and attempt to kill us. Why is that what scares you? I'll say, because then this is my <laughs> fault. You're great. No, 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 the point of my speech was not to say that there are waves upon waves of legions of terrorists coming within refugee waves. I was merely pointing out that that was a risk that we need to identify of numbers of small numbers of terrorists and very small numbers which may seek in through refugee waves if and only if we take a completely open door policy to the issue. Would you like to respond? I would. The speaker of the proposition claimed that not 0.1% of these people would be terrorists. That figure simply doesn't do that? exist. That was completely <laughs> theoretical. Exactly. The statistic was totally glamorized and theoretical. Take Germany took in 300,000 refugees as of right now, over that number. And was Germany attacked or bombed by these refugees? Not at all. They do not pose a serious threat. With extremism in our own country. <laughs> extremism in our own country should be the priority. It was of every 10,000 no, refugees. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> it's You did rip that out of your context. <laughs> yeah, That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take the last two questions, so I'm going to go for this one right over here. Yeah. Uh, my question is towards the opposition. Can I, yeah, that was yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think the opposition have overestimated the amount of influence which refugees have within their own country. The opposition have argued that we should keep refugees within their own country and help them work together to solve the issue. Syria, for example, is really a dictatorship in disguise. Refugees are not going to have any serious influence in the resolution of this conflict. No, that was that was their argument. We never said we were going to lock everyone into Syria, but we said there is no point taking anyone of any worth. All the people that are, can do something to help Syria, I don't mean as in worth as a human, I mean as they can help Syria in some way. There's no point ripping off the country of all its hope with the open door policy when they'll just leave. I'd like to question, Madam Chairman, where the platform for these worth, these people who have any worth to society actually is. How can they speak out against this dictatorship when it is a dictatorship? They have no platform to speak and they are alone. Thank you very much. I'm going to take one last question and then we'll move on to questions on the motion. Uh, Okay, sorry. Uh, last question. Yeah, uh, the opposition has talked a lot about safe zones. I'm not sure how you think you're going to moderate safe zones in a country uh, almost dominated by ISIS and a repressive Assad regime. Also, you you have acknowledged that we can't allow these people just to live in Syria right now until this problem is solved. But if they are to live in these safe zones that are not like normal life, they will be there for a very long time because recent history has suggested that the Western world is not good at sorting out Middle Eastern problems. That is why we're suggesting the refugees stay in their own countries, because, so that Middle Eastern people can solve Middle Eastern problems rather than Western people solving Middle Eastern problems. And I don't think that refugees coming here would be considered a normal life either. Regardless of whether they're going to be in safe zones or here, it's never going to be a normal life. Their, co their country is under severe um, persecution and poverty and other forms of conflict. So I think keeping them in the safe or giving them the option to remain in safe zones and not having an open door policy, but encouraging them to remain in their own country so that they can rebuild themselves, so that they can overthrow possible dictatorships. And yes, it is a dictatorship. It will be difficult. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but it's possible. <laughs> the process of a can-do attitude, so we should too. Uh, <laughs> so you would rather let thousands of people die by a dictator than letting them come into our country and save their lives? There's no back and forth. It's rhetorical. Um, but thank you very much for that. I'm now going to take one question on the motion. That was on the motion, sorry. Anyone got a question on the motion? Doesn't matter. Or general comment. Too much focus in Syria. Yeah. The debate was not about Syria. Yeah, it, it was a very broad debate. To be fair, we didn't give you a specific country, but it was very interesting to see the angles you all came from because everyone came from very different angles. Um, yeah, like the young man at the end. Um, well done. Um, yeah, the terminology is a bit tricky. Yeah. Um, but well done. Should we move to announcing now? Okay. okay. Yeah, we're going to 
Well, I have to say, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a sophomore or something, but I thought you all did remarkably well. I was really impressed by the level of perspicacity that you all showed here today. I mean, to be given 20 minutes, I'm actually amazed that you're able to put so much detail and effort into um, the, the contributions and the presentations that you made. It's not easy because, you know, to be given a subject and told you are for or against it, when it might not be your personal conviction, is, is, is a very difficult thing to do. Um, I thought all, all forms of human emotion were there in the space of one and a half hour, you know, the humour, the passion, uh, the examples and all the rest of it, but I, I really thought in general that um, you all did very, very well. So, um, well done everybody, that's all I said. <laughs> Just to echo that, I think particularly in terms of the style, it's the strongest debating I've ever witnessed of this age group, so well done. And that's not just for the finalists, we're all brilliant, but even from people in the audience, as something of a debating geek and a politics seat, it's been so lovely to see so many young people like engaging with such a difficult topic, and I don't envy any of you having to debate that on either side of the house, I thought that was really tough. Um, so the style was fantastic. I think sometimes you could have engaged with each other's arguments a bit better, picked up on things. I think there were some things missed. I think there were a few cases of contradicting yourself, maybe. Um, but yeah, all in all, brilliant. Very impressed. And, and you should all be very proud of yourselves. Um, yeah, well, before I sort of... Uh, can I just clarify which school is which? So you're St. Louis Balmina? Mm -hmm. Yes. You're St. Patrick's Academy. St. Patrick's Academy. Victoria and Bobby CBS. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. No. I, I see. Echo the same points. Um, you all did really well. As I said, really tough motion for 20 minutes to prepare. Um, the stats and things like you've got those before, and it was good to see that the stats that you've got before um, sort of were filtered into the argument. You sort of had your list of right. These are my facts and figures, and I'm going to build my speech around that, but also in response to points of information, there was something, um, I think it was uh, yourself as the Amer, um, somebody had a point of information and you were like, right, I have a staff for that and I can back it up and this is, you know, this is what, um, that was it. <laughs> so I would just say, um, yeah, very broad motion, I think the, very, the point at the very end, a lot of focus on Syria, of course there's going to be a focus on Syria, but I think even without delving into sort of hypotheticals, what if it was America, what if it was the UK, what if it was Russia, what about when it was Iraq, when it was Palestine, when, you know, things like that that sort of broaden out your motion and it just, I think, sort of pigeonholed the debate a wee bit. Um, apart from that, about you, the UK, obviously it's this house would, but sort of maybe even delving away from the UK and what about, um, I know Germany was focused on a lot, but um, sorry, Saudi Arabia, for example, Saudi Arabia have been doing bits and pieces. They've been, you know, they've been Lebanon have been taking people, Jordan have been taking people. Um, just sort of a, a research about what you were saying at the end, sort of justifying what the, the Middle East are doing about a Middle Eastern problem, which is what sort of would have backed up your argument a bit more. Um, sort of focusing sounds about Eastern problems with Eastern people and what their culture is used to. Uh, apart from that, I think you'd picked up on the side that. The proposition could have been very emotive and could have um, based their arguments sort of like you know passion and it's humanity and it's this and I used you didn't do that but I think something that could have added both to your both of your arguments um, would have been that yes the UK you know you can bring in that emotive argument but aside from the emotion right the UK could do this they could provide this they could make this hostel they could put people here there's you know there's um there's sites for infrastructure here you know sort of like offering a, a credible solution of something that the UK could do. Um, 
I think points of information, um, maybe accepted too many of them, six minute speech, generally only take one, you did start to decline them as they were sort of, you know, coming on. Uh, but yeah, six minute speeches, um, trying to be polite but, but getting your point across, maybe take one or one at most two points of information just um, to get into your time and what you want to say. And apart from that, um, I think, yes, but really just nitpicking, we were trying to, we were trying to judges and it, it was difficult, we were sort of trying to find things that, you know, he's all spoke very well, he's all spoke very confidently. Um, and yeah, it was good. So, uh, we have a prize, which is this lovely one, for the winning team and the finest team and then a winning individual. So, uh, no drum roll. Um, no drum roll. <laughs> um, okay, so the winning team, uh, oh wait. Should I go backwards? Do okay, backwards. That would, that would be a bit more suspense that way. Okay. Okay, so we'll go for the, the individual first, um, which is, I believe, Erin from Victoria College. <laughs> 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 There's some photographs you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Erin won uh, the individual speaker. And the Finalists or runner up team were from Abbey Christian Brothers. And that leaves the the winner and the winner of this lovely trophy, um, St Patrick's Academy. Thank you everyone for coming. Um, I'm just going to grab some quick photos and then we can all shuffle about a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> 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 <la